You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. And uh, we'll get to the verse here in just a little bit. 2 Peter um, chapter 1 is the verse we're going to start with tonight. And we're continuing our Wednesday night um, study or a series, you might call it, on its, um, I've entitled it, Why Baptist? And uh, it's really a study on Bible doctrine because as Baptists, we depend on God's word to establish what we believe. And that is our, that's our purpose. That's, that's how we do it. Uh, we, we don't rely on traditions of men. That's the way it should be, honestly, in any church, is that they depend on God's word to tell them what to believe. And uh, use God's word to determine your beliefs. Uh, we use the label uh, Baptist because that name has historically been a synonym for Biblicist. Baptist has historically been a synonym for Biblicist. Someone once wrote, you become a Christian... By believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you become a Baptist by believing the rest of the Bible. I think that's a good way to say it. You become a Christian by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you become a Baptist by believing the rest of the Bible. And though there are some who share our label, Baptist, out there, and they may have steered away, though, from... Bible doctrine and replaced it with other things, but we still believe that the label means something. And we're, we're Baptists, and, and we're not necessarily um, you know, saying that, that that's all that, that we are. No, by, we're Baptists because Baptist means Biblicists, and that's why we are Baptists. One thing to clarify is that we are independent Baptists. And meaning we don't answer to a denominational hierarchy or we don't answer to a board that tells us what to believe. We don't tell, answer to somebody that tells us how to practice our methodologies or our philosophies. We don't ask somebody where to spend and send our money and who to hire as a pastor and what missionaries to support. We believe in the autonomy of the local church and we fully intend to continue depending on the Bible for all matters of faith and practice. And as a matter of fact, you know, the autonomy of, a lo- of the local church, um, that's one of the Baptist distinctives that we hold to. That's, that's one of the things that I, I intend to cover as we go through here. And we may go a different direction, but um, there's an acronym. And I, I mentioned it last week, and I'm going to show it to you up here on the screen. Um, that's an acronym for Baptist. And if you'll see it, I know there's a lot of words and with the text up there. If you'll notice... Um, the first letter of every one listed, every word listed or phrase listed, it spells Baptist. You've got biblical authority, the autonomy of the local church, the priesthood of the believer, two ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper, individual soul liberty, saved baptized church membership, two offices, pastor and deacon, and separation of church and state. And I'm not saying that's an exhaustive doctrinal list, but that really does sum up the distinctives of the traditional Baptists. And in the first letter, again, you've got B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S, Baptists. And we'll go through some of these as we go through this series on Wednesday nights. But I, I underlined and made a little bigger that first one, biblical authority, because that really is... Uh, what we're focusing on the first few weeks of this series, 
um, it, tonight. We, we did it last week. We'll do it again tonight and look at that one, biblical authority. And one of those texts that I listed there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, is actually the text we'll be reading here in just a moment. You can go ahead and take that off. We'll, we'll refer to that slide um, as we go along. So if you were trying to write it down, um, you'll have other opportunities to do it. My intention is to go through those distinctives and and last week, again, we, start, we started with biblical authority. And in an age in which truth is being attacked at every turn, we must hold tightly to doctrine and sound teaching. You know, our, our function as a church begins with this book right here. I mean, that we've already said it in many ways, but since the Bible is the source of sound doctrine, then last week we looked at what it says about itself in terms of it being our sole authority. And we started with the thought that, that every belief system, every world, worldview begins with some presuppositions. And, and our presupposition that we begin with is that God is and that he is not silent. God is and he is not silent. It, that phrase was coined, I think, by Francis Schaeffer, an, an apologist in years past. But he, uh, God is a communicating God. In other words, he's not existent and then quiet about it. He's a communicating God. And the Old and New Testament, the, the, this book, this is how he communicates with mankind. This is his written revelation of himself to us. This, this, there are two types of revelation. There's general revelation and specific revelation or special revelation. You might say that general revelation would be what you see out in nature. If you've ever stood at the, uh, the edge of the Grand Canyon or you've ever stood at the base of a majestic mountain, you've, you've ever seen something beautiful, you've ever looked in the, in the night sky and you've seen scattered millions of stars in the night sky and, and you, that is God's general revelation and that God reveals himself to mankind. You could read Romans 1 and see how God reveals himself even to those that wouldn't be considered saved. They could, they, if they look at nature with, with an unfiltered eye, then they would have to say there's design and there's order. There must be a designer. There must be somebody behind this. And so that's general revelation. I mean, just think about even our bodies and, and how our bodies function. And it's amazing to me that, you know, you eat a few times a day and, and that gives you enough energy for your body to just kind of, I mean, it's not self-existing or self-running. You, you're feeding it energy, but the fact that our bodies just run, I mean, when's the last time you stopped and thought about that? That your heart just keeps beating. And that your lungs, without thinking about it, your lungs are still moving in and you're still breathing. And now everyone's thinking about breathing. That's what you're thinking about now, right? Well, the fact, we don't think about those things, do we? But, but our bodies are a reflection of our creator. That, that, that they continue to work and they continue to operate and but special revelation is not general revelation. Special revelation is detailed information that God has revealed about himself through definite words. Special revelation is different in that it occurred when God would speak audibly um, in the Old Testament and, and before the revelation of, of God's word was, was complete and God would speak audibly or, or he would speak to his people through the lips of human prophets. But that the special revelation... Uh, that is most important for us these days in our time is in written form. This book, God's word, is special revelation to us. And we believe that it's what we, that we believe that special revelation is, that, that's found in the pages of the Holy Scriptures. God's special revelation 
to mankind. And if this is from God, folks, if God's word uh, contains what is from God, then this has authority over my life. And there's, there's plenty of evidence from scripture. We looked at it last week that says God's word has authority from Deuteronomy 5 saying that God wrote the tablets with his own hand. He gave the law to Israel, then to Jesus Christ, referencing the Old Testament law as scripture, then to other passages we looked at that pointed to both the Old and the New Testament passages, calling it scripture. The Bible declares its own authority. But what else does it say about itself? See, that's the idea of tonight's message, is that kind of to this point, we're, looking, we're kind of from the outside looking in, but we're, we, we are going to start then looking into God's word um, at, at the attributes of God's word that, it's, that it says about itself. The attributes of scriptures. There are certain characteristics of God's word that we should hold to. And, and as we get through these, uh, I'll try to give you at the end some thoughts about why it matters. Okay, Because sometimes people can think that doctrine is dry. Doctrine is just boring. But I, I think it's good for us, after we go through some doctrinal teaching, to look and say, okay, but if it, this wasn't true, where would we be? So the first word that I want to talk about, first attribute of Scripture, is that God's Word is inspired. God's Word is inspired. And, and when I say inspired, you know, when you think uh, inspired, you think of these days, you think, well, God, well, a person is inspired when they... They gave an inspired performance at the football game. Or they gave a, an inspired performance at the concert. Or you, you see what somebody else is doing and you're thinking, well, that inspires me. Well, that's not the word inspired when it comes to God's word. God's word is inspired. And we believe the Old and New Testament scriptures are the inspired word of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to start. It says in chapter 1 verse 20... Knowing this, that no prophecy, so 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Basically, these verses mean, just to give you a summary, that even though men were used to write down God's words... The men that wrote God's words didn't make it up for themselves. The men that wrote God's words um, were not, they're, they're not thinking, well, I'll, I'll write this and maybe God would, God just give me permission to write this. No, they didn't interpret how it, interpret God's words how they wanted to and, and we shouldn't either. The men that wrote scripture wrote what God told them to write. Basically, God's word originated with God, not men. And that's good for us to know and good for us to have confidence in. It's pretty simple. Is that scripture says what God says. This started with God. And that doesn't, not, just to clarify, it doesn't mean that God bypassed the personality of, or the will of the writer or, or the language or the writing style of the writer. It, it doesn't mean that there's a, it was strictly a dictation when it came to inspiring the Bible, where men were just robots or marionette puppets and they didn't think about what they wrote at all. No, because if you read the Old Testament, you read King David's writings and you see that there's certainly King David has a writing style. King David has things that he wrote about more than others. And you go to the Apostle Paul and you read, you read what he wrote and there, his personality 
most definitely comes through in his writings. And, and I think it's great that God can do that. We believe that God is so, his providence is so great and, and he has so much supernatural ability that he can easily make it possible for a writer to communicate God's words but do it with glimpses of the writer's personality while he does it. I was thinking even just this afternoon about 2 Thessalonians 3.17. And 2 Thessalonians 3.17 says, actually, let's just look at it. We're going to turn maybe a little bit more than normal. So if you're, if you're thinking, well, God just must, must have uh, dictated um, every, every word to these men and they didn't have a choice and they were blindly and not thinking when they did this and no, there is still personality that comes through. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says in verse 17, The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. So you know what he's saying? He's saying, here's my signature phrase. Here's what I write in every epistle. This is the token that I write in every epistle. He says, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And if you read Paul's epistles, you see that phrase in there in a lot, in just about every one of his writings. This is, he says, this is the token. This is what, this is how I, uh, he says a salutation. This is how my greeting, this is how you know it's from me. And what I, and I point that out, I mean, not because it's some great spiritual truth, but I point it out because it means that, that, that yes, God was, was inspiring the men and what to write, but the men that were writing, their personality was coming through. Their writing style was coming through. 2 Timothy 3, look over to 2 Timothy 3, just a couple pages uh, to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, these are verses we read last week. It says in verse 16... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But the first phrase of chapter 16 is really the summary of what I was looking at. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, inspiration is, it's a breathing term. It literally means that the words of scripture were given by the breathing out of God. The words of scripture came directly from God and they were put down on the page. See, while Peter over in, in the first passage we looked at, Peter was emphasizing um, the fact that, that the revelation originated with God. Okay, that was what he was focusing on. Well, Paul here, when he uses the word scripture, he's emphasizing the fact that what originated with God became what was written down. So you've got over here Peter emphasizing all scripture was, it originated with God. It, it was of no private interpretation. These holy men of God moved, spake as they were moved. But over here, then Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's saying what originated with God was written down for us. So it's not like it was just originated with God and then it kind of floated off into thin air. No, Paul is saying that the scripture that was inspired, it was written down. Scripture literally means writing. So what, what Paul or what Peter says originated with God, Paul says was written down by men. Same, same, these two work together, that's inspiration. Jesus Christ himself, he defines scripture as every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God in Matthew 4.4. 4. When, when scripture speaks, and this is an important, an important phrase to remember in inspiration, is that when scripture speaks, God speaks. When we read the Bible and the scripture says it, we should, we should think that's what God says. 
It's God's words. Here's a couple of examples of that which connect the Old and New Testament. Um, If you'll turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Back over to your left a little bit. I'm going to read a verse, a verse from you or for you out of Genesis 12. But you turn to Galatians chapter 3. So again, we're connecting the fact that, that um, when God speaks, it, the scripture speaks. When the scripture speaks, God speaks. Genesis 12, just listen to what Genesis 12 says. Okay, This is when God was calling Abram out of the earth of the Chaldees to go to the promised land. It says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, the Lord had said unto Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So who does it say said that to Abram? The Lord said that to Abram. But look at what Paul wrote here in Galatians 3.8. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all, the na- all nations be blessed. So if you go to Genesis 12, it says the Lord speaks in Genesis, but Paul states that scripture states, says, and the scripture preached before the gospel unto Abraham and these shall all the nations be blessed. You know what it's saying in Genesis, it's saying the Lord says it, but in, in Paul in Galatians is saying the scripture says, so do you see how those two things are the same? What, what the Lord says in Genesis 12, Paul says, the scripture says in Galatians 3. Now I'll turn over to Matthew 19. You're going to really give your hands a workout. You've got to go to the beginning of the New Testament now. Not just Paul's epistles. Y'all are quiet tonight. Is it because it's business meeting? No? Okay. All right. It's okay. You can, you can be interactive. You can even say amen if you agree with something. It's okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Matthew 19 is where you are. Let me read you a verse from Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 4, uh, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It doesn't ascribe that to anybody. It just says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. But notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 19, look at verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So I don't know if you caught it or not, but it said that in in chapter 4, or verse 4, it said, Have you not read that he which hath made them at the beginning, who is that? Who made, who made heaven and earth? God. He which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And he said, verse 5, the thought continues. He, the one that made everything, the made, made male and female at the beginning, he's the one that said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Well, over in Genesis 2, it, it, it's saying that uh, scripture is just recorded in Genesis 2. It doesn't ascribe it to anybody, but Jesus is stating that God said that. So again, we see that where, when Scripture speaks, it's God speaking. And when God speaks, it's Scripture. So Scripture is God's inspired word. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's God-breathed. Now, the other part of that inspiration is that we believe in a verbal plenary inspiration. And you say, okay, now you're getting into words we don't know. Well, I, I understand, but let me explain those. 
Um, the scriptures were given by verbal inspiration. The word scripture, like I mentioned already, literally means writing or means something written down. So when we say that the Bible is from the mouth of God, we're making a claim that applies to every single word that was written by those biblical authors. The Bible does not speak about um, inspired ideas or concepts. God is a specific communicator who uses specific words. Uh, for instance, in Jeremiah 26.2, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. So when God told Jeremiah there in Jeremiah 26, he says, I want you to go and I want you to stand where Judah can hear you, right by the Lord's house. And he said, I want you to speak all the words that I commanded thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. So he's saying, I want you to speak every word that I tell you to speak. And he says, diminish not a word. Diminish means to withdraw. He says, speak every single word that I tell you to speak, don't hold back any of the words. We've already seen from Jesus' own words, uh, his own testimony regarding the inspiration of the very words of Scripture in Matthew 4. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we believe in, ver in verbal inspiration and in that every word matters. God didn't, didn't reveal himself through intangible concepts. He revealed himself through specific words. Words matter to God. It's verbal inspiration. He didn't just say, okay, listen, here's the idea I want you to get across. You just explain it however you want to. I just want you to get across the idea that I love people. No, you know, he said, no, here are the words that I want you to use to convey that I love people. Words matter to God. They should matter to us. You know, our, our culture is downplaying the importance of, of words. And if you don't agree, just look over uh, the shoulder of a teenager that's texting with another teenager. I mean, you talk about the downplaying of words. And I'm, just, and I'm not trying to make this overly spiritual. I'm really not. Um, but that's why when I text, I text in complete sentences. Amen. amen. That's the best amen of... I, I use, I, because, listen, and I, again, I'm not, trying to down, I'm not trying to make this a huge spiritual point tonight, but words matter to God. And if words matter to God, I want words to matter to, matter to me. And so I want to text in complete sentences. If you look over a teenager's shoulder, um, or not even just teenager's shoulder, you look at anybody that's texting just about these days, and punctuation has gone out, out the window, and capitalization has gone out the window and now and now even words that are short words like thanks has been abbreviated to whatever thx or whatever and 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 phrases now are are acrostics because you know um like smh shaking my head you know smh every you know if you text you know what that means and and when i see that on a, somebody's text i just shake my head i'm like yeah, you're right. I am shaking my head. And LOL, which, which old people think that means, that means lots of love. But you don't want to do LOL at the wrong time. It doesn't mean lots of love. It means laughing out loud. Okay, in case you're learning, right? Are you learning these things tonight? So, I mean, words don't matter in our culture anymore. 
Uh, but words matter to God. Every word matters to God. So it's plenary inspiration too. Plenary means complete in every aspect. It means absolute. So that statement declares, when we say verbal plenary inspiration, that statement means that the inspiration of the Bible is plenary, which means there's no text or scripture more or less inspired than any other text or scripture. In other words, we don't believe that Genesis is more inspired than the book of Malachi. And we don't believe that the book of Proverbs is less inspired than the book of the gospel according to John. We believe that it's all inspired. It's plenary. It's, it means complete in every respect. It's absolute. It's across the board. Once again, I want you to think about what, what Timothy, or Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it all matters to God. It's all equally important. It's all equally inspired. It's not partially inspired. It's equally inspired. That's, the, that's what plenary means. And this, this whole concept um, contributes to the foundation of our understanding of the Bible. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. And not just part of Scripture, all of Scripture. So whatever the Bible affirms or implies to be true, God himself affirms or apply, implies to be true. I mean, what he says, he, I mean, anything he says, he believes it. I mean, and that's not happening a lot in our culture either. I mean, look around and, and think about all these politicians making all these policies these days. And, you know, the, like the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, um, who, by the way, is Nancy Pelosi's nephew, I think. That tells you something. He's making all these policies, yet he's eating at a restaurant without a mask. You know, and that's happening in a lot of places, and it's happening, happening in small towns, and it's happening in Washington, D.C., how these politicians, they make these statements, and they put out these mandates, and they make these demands of people, um, but, but it doesn't apply to them, but, and it removes their credibility. It causes their word to have no authority, but listen, God's not like that. If God says it, if it's a small word, if it's a big word, if it's a little book, if it's a big book, it all matters to God. It's all equally inspired. So, so why does this doctrine matter? Why should we care if the Bible's inspired or, or God breathed? Why should it matter if Scripture says what God says and God speaks where Scripture speaks? Why should it make any difference that the Bible is verbally inspired, word by word, and carries plenary inspiration and that it's all equally inspired? Well, if the Bible is of human origin, it can either be improved upon or rejected. If man, if man came up with this, then we would have to assume there are improvements to make. Or we could say, no, we reject it because it's man-made. If it came from men, we could question its accuracy. Uh, we could question its validity. We could question its authority. If it's man-made, what would make the Bible different than from Wikipedia? You say, well, I go to Wikipedia for all of my, my uh, sources and references, well, you realize, you realize that anybody can get on and edit Wikipedia, right? So you can't really trust what you read on Wikipedia, although it's probably the easiest place to go to find quick information about something. But it's not trustworthy because it can change. And some guy could come along or some person behind a computer screen and come along and they could change whatever they want on a Wikipedia, on a Wikipedia page. That's why we can't trust Wikipedia. Listen, if, if, the, if the Bible is of human origin, then we could ignore it because it can't be trusted. If it's of human origin, it could change with the times. 
If it's of human origin, it could evolve because men change and culture changes. I mean, for instance, let me just give you an example of this. You know, we, we view the dictionary as being unchangeable and authoritative. When I was a kid, the dictionary was, that's the law. The dictionary says it, that's, what it, that's the definition. But if you were watching the uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett um, confirmation hearings this, this year, she used a phrase in the, that, that confirmation, and she said, um, she said that it's a sexual preference. She used that phrase. Well, then the opposite side um, got all over her for using that phrase because they said that's an offensive phrase. I mean, who knew that was an offensive phrase? Well, they said that's an offensive phrase and you can't use that. They got all over her about it. And at the same time it went public, Merriam-Webster online, if you were to go then to Merriam-Webster and read online after that became public, Merriam-Webster got on, and under the term sexual preference, they changed the definition to include offensive. Just like that. See, that shows you how trustworthy something that originated from men is. Because it can change just like that. Because men change. We waffle, we're unstable in all of our ways. And and you would think that a dictionary is the the final word and it is unchangeable. But if it's that easy to change, I'm glad that we don't have a man-originated Bible. Because the words could change, the definitions could change. It could be adjusted to fit the culture. It would be completely untrustworthy. It could be changed whenever somebody just feels like changing it. But if it's of divine origin, inspired, then that means the Bible is timeless. It means that no matter how differently things look from one generation to the next generation, God's word is permanently relevant at every stage. I'm going to say that again. That means that no matter how differently things look from one generation to the next... God's word is permanently relevant in every stage, in every age. Instead of mankind standing over God's word and judging it, like you'd almost think is what's happening now, is that men are the ultimate authority and they stand over God's word and they judge God's word. No, if it's timeless, then it stands over us as our judge. It's, a, it's dangerous for us to, to tend to obey and apply scripture only when it's reasonable or culturally acceptable no if it's from god it doesn't change it's timeless and that's why it matters for you to believe that the bible is inspired so for application let me encourage you simply to learn the bible see if this book is what god reveals is what how god reveals himself in written form then you shouldn't pursue anything else in your life more than you pursue god's word and yet i think probably Uh, The world's full of Christians that are chasing other things more passionately than they do the inspired word of God. If If scripture speaks when God speaks, don't ignore the parts you hate and embrace the parts you love. No, it all matters. Every word matters. God didn't just inspire parts of it. It's not like only the most famous sections are inspired and, and relevant. No, all of it came from God. Every word Every book. So what are you learning more passionately than God's word? I, it, I mean, are, is there something, every one of us, you know, we're coming down to the end of this year and, 
and we all spent this year learning something. I mean, if you're at work and you had a new software or you had a new uh, hardware or you had a new um, responsibility given to you that, and you had to learn, learn how to do something, you had to adjust and, and change and, and fix things and, and learn, you know, where you don't have to wear a mask when you go. And no, no, I'm just kidding. That, that is something we've all had to learn. You know, you've had to learn how to adjust to COVID and you just everything's been different. We've all adjusted and learned and many of us spend lots of time continuing to learn about, about coronavirus and everything that's going on out there. And, I, and that's fine. But if we're more passionate about learning um, what's happening in our culture and more passionate about standing up for those things than we are learning God's inspired word, then we are out of balance. Because this book is everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. And yet we are very passionately pursuing very often other things more than we do God's word. So I'm just going to challenge you, get into the, in this inspired book. Can you, can you summarize what books of the Bible mean? I mean, in general, what they mean, oh, okay, that one, yeah, that book is generally, it's about this, or it's from this person to that person, and it's to Israel, or it's to Judah, or it took place at this time. Can you quote passages of Scripture? Do they just come to you? Man, I'm, I'm, in, I'm uh, uh, convicted when I'm around certain people and the verses just come to them. You know, can you, can you quote passages like that? Why, why don't you this year, coming year, it's time for New Year's resolutions, almost. Why don't you make it a New Year's resolution and you say, I'm just going to choose two or three books of the Bible and I'm going to learn them forward and back. I'm going to learn what they mean. I'm going to learn what they're, who they're for. I'm going to learn the context. I'm going to try to understand everything about that book. And I'm going to just kind of say, make it my point to study that book. You know, if you do that enough years in a row, you'd start learning a lot about the Bible. If you believe this, that this book came from God, it's time to live like we believe it. If it's inspired, we ought to be inspired to read it every day. If it's inspired, then we should be inspired to go to it when we're facing a trial bigger than we can handle. If it's inspired, we should be inspired to memorize it in order to withstand the sin that tempts us every day. If, if we believe it's inspired, if we believe this book is inspired, we should be inspired to want other people to hear its message too. If God's word is inspired, then why aren't we more inspired to make it a part of our lives? These are God's inspired words. And I say we should be inspired to make it our priority. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.